0: Thank you, Nicole. We are continuing our series covering the Pentateuch, 16 months. We are coming to the end of, of Genesis, but the whole point of the series is, um, is the desire for us as a church to draw nearer to God, to draw uh, nearer to God and, and grow in our fear and awe of Him, and that is one of the express purposes of 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 the Pentateuch, in fact, of the whole Bible, and so we we are working through these texts and reading these stories, and and seeing um, the greatness and the power and the beauty of God. Lawrence mentioned uh, in his prayer this morning the existence of uncertainty, and I was reading the paper this week, and you know we're, we've got. Um, We are months and months and months into the pandemic. We see the the stress that it's causing uh, throughout all aspects of our lives. Uh, This particular article was was talking about the increased um, amount of mental health problems that teachers and staff are experiencing in the schools. And we know this is happening, you know, it it really across the board everywhere, especially in in hospitals and clinics. There's a lot of pressure, but this, this teacher... Said this, she says, you know, we're living in a time when there's more anxiety and stress because of the sheer uncertainty of so much in their lives. People's emotional thresholds are at their limit, and we all know, we all we all feel it, we all see it. the The uncertainty about the future, especially right now, in the midst of you know, Friday, a new variant seems to be just as transmissible or more transmissible as the Delta variant that's emerging in South Africa. So once again, we're starting to see travel restrictions and all these kinds of things. The stock market had its worst day uh, of the year on Friday, Um, and it's just a challenge. So this uncertainty that we live in creates a lot of anxiety and stress. And we wonder, and, and it's not just right now, but all of us, at every time of our lives, I would imagine, um, have some aspect of our life, some relationship, some family member, some, some struggle that we're going through that introduces a lot of uncertainty. And we wonder when it's going to go away. We wonder when good is going to overcome. We wonder when our, our loved one is going to change. We wonder when our fortunes are going to change. We we wonder when the financial struggles that we're in are going to change. We wonder when we're going to get out of this pressures of the, of the pandemic. And we know what happens when the stress and anxiety becomes too much. We start to engage in uh, self-destructive behaviors. We start engaging in behaviors that hurt other people, um, and then more problems emerge because of self-destructive behaviors and hurting of other people, and existing problems become bigger. As a few weeks ago, um, just, you, this has been a, str- again, this has been a stressful year for all of us in a lot of ways, and uh, a variety of things were contributing to stress and anxiety, and a worry and concern about the future in, in my own life. And uh, over the period of a couple weeks, um, I was particularly critical to, to my colleagues, Lawrence and Deirdre. And after a couple weeks of it, Lawrence called me up. He says, George, are you going to be in the office today? I said, yeah, I should be there most of the day. And so he said, we, we need to talk. So he shows up and he says, George, man, You've just been critical. And I, I go, you know, you're right. And, and it wasn't as if, and sometimes the challenge, you know, we know. And I knew that I was in a season of experiencing anxiety and stress. And, um, and we had talked about these things. Um, but it, it's, it's helpful to have somebody else call you out. It, it deepens the reality that, hey, this is affecting me. This is affecting me, Um, and and this is a consistent challenge that we see throughout all of Scripture. I mean, we've we've we we we've we've observed the promises that God has made to all of humanity. That he the promises that he gave to to man and woman in the garden. They're going to have a a child. That child will bring life back to all creation and conquer the forces of evil and darkness. And then the promises unfold into this family of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But there hasn't been a single character or family that, that hasn't been in some pretty substantial trial and trouble. Trial and trouble that they bring upon themselves, trial and trouble that others bring upon them. And so it's a consistent concern that even though these people have the promises of God, and God has promised to prosper them, God has promised to bless them, God has promised to protect them, God has said, I am going to make of you a people characterized by righteousness and justice, and through you, I'm going to show the ways of the Lord to, to all nations, and so even with those great promises the people still struggle just as we still struggle with the great promises that God has given us. And so we see even in these characters with these great promises and God is talking directly to them their uncertainty grows. Their anxiety and stress and pain grows. But we also see God's promises work out. In, in crazy ways sometimes, and ways that, you know, in, in each of the stories, in terms of how God's promises work out, they work out in ways that, that seem very unlikely to us. And that's, that's the case here as well with the story of Joseph. Now, this is one of my favorite sections. I mean, I said that last week. I, I love the book of Genesis. The stories are incredible because of the surprises that the stories hold and what they reveal about God and what they re- reveal about people. But the this, this story of, of, of the generations of Jacob, so that's how the heading starts out, the beginning of chapter 37 here. It's really the story of Joseph. It's a very familiar story to us. Even in pop culture, we've got got movies, we've got musicals, we've got miniseries, we've got animated features that center around this story of Joseph. And so the next three weeks, we're going to be on this story. I've preached this entire section in one sermon once, and it was over 70 minutes, so I thought I'd break it up. And breaking it up, breaking it up actually um, creates some dynamics that help us put ourselves in the lives of the characters a little bit better. You know, we read it even if, you know, we read these 14 chapters, it may take us, even if it took us an hour. Well, it's covering many, many years in the lives of these people. And so we're going to take some time working through these 14 chapters over the next three weeks the first two chapters introduce us to the main characters, and, and at the end of these two chapters, there's a lot of doubt. So this week is chapter 37, next week is chapter 38, and we're going to be in, in significant places of doubt, just like those characters would have been, but we're going to see that the, that the text gives us enough to hold on to. We're going to work that out over these, these weeks. So the challenge that we have with this story is its familiarity. Most of us know the story, and most of us could tell it um, gen- fairly, in a, fairly well and in a generalized way. So there's the person of Joseph. He's the favorite of his father. His brothers hate him. So his brothers, um, instead of killing him, they sell him into Egypt. And in Egypt, he works through a variety of tru- troubles, but God is really on his side. And then he rises to power in Egypt as the second most powerful person in, in the nation of Egypt, which is the most powerful nation in the world. And, it, and, and God works through Joseph to save uh, not only his family, but all of the nations, right? That's kind of the story. Um, but generally, the musicals, the animated Features the the movies don't actually concern themselves with the primary concern of the text. Like you don't watch, you know, the Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat or Joseph uh, Egyptian Prince. I can't remember the Disney version. And you're not. You know, at the end of the movie, you're not asking, well, you know, what about the offspring promised to man and woman in chapter three of Genesis, which is the central concern of the text. You know. None of these stories is asking that question. Or what happened to this this family that was supposed to become a nation characterized by righteousness and justice? You're not asking that question. And so everybody loves the story of the underdog boy who overcame great obstacles with the hand of God and then saves everything, literally saves the world. I mean, everybody likes that story. But it's not really the story. Even in today's reading, and the reason why I wanted Nicole to read the whole thing is that there's some facts about the events that betray their general understanding and that throw a twist into it that, that, that messes up our popular understanding. And it directs us to God in a more substantial way, which is the goal of the series. It's the goal of the Scriptures so the main characters are introduced here in chapter 37. There's Jacob, who's obviously the son of Isaac, and we looked at, at really the for, his formation last week. And so he has these 12 sons and one daughter and four wives, and he's, he, is, he is living in the area that was um, inhabited by his, by his father, Isaac. So he's just living there. That's how the text starts out. And then it mentions the... Young man who's seventeen years old, Joseph, and then there's Reuben who speaks up. Reuben's the oldest. Joseph is the favorite. He's the he's the son, first son of his favorite wife. Remember, he had four wives. So uh, Rachel gave birth to to Joseph and then to Benjamin, um, but is favored by Jacob. Reuben's the firstborn of the first wife, so he is he is the official firstborn child of Jacob. And then there's Judah, who was the fourth born to his first wife. So his first wife was Leah. She's not the loved wife, but she's the real wife, because she was the first wife he married. And so she had four sons. The first one was Reuben, the fourth one was Judah. So those are the main characters. Those are the only ones that speak in this, in this first chapter. So Joseph is favored by his dad. He's most likely to be the successor. And so the the brothers see that he's the favorite. Jacob affirms that he's the favorite by giving them this coat. Now, the the, the text just mentions that it's a coat of many colors, but scholars believe that that the giving of that coat would have represented Jacob's official um, disposition towards Joseph as being the successor. So it was a way of of Jacob saying, he's my favorite and he's the one that's going to get the blessing. I mean, that's the big deal throughout the book of Genesis, right? The blessing. Because the blessing is the the carrier of the promise. The carrier of the promise of the the offspring who's going to come and wipe out evil and bring life to all creation. And so Jacob's favoritism towards Joseph Um, stokes this fire of hatred and jealousy in the other 11 brothers. And Joseph doesn't really do much to alleviate that. He tells on his brothers, so they're all out working together in the fields, shepherding sheep, and something happens, and Joseph tells on his brothers. Now, we don't know. The text doesn't give us any indication of whether or not They actually did something wrong. Did Jacob ask Joseph to, you know, we don't know. We just know that Joseph told on his brothers. And then he has these dreams that exalts him and and puts his brothers in a place where they are worshiping and honoring and bowing down to him. And the text, you know, uh, in the stories, he repeats this, the phrase, look or behold. And so he keeps emphasizing these things repeatedly throughout the stories. He's completely tone deaf to his brothers. And so, you know, if you, if you know somebody, if you know a young man who is 16 or 17 years old, it kind of makes sense because their lives are really revolved around them and how great they are, right? That's, that's I was that way, you know, my, my relatives used to call me King George. because And I was like, what are you guys talking about? I'm not like that. But as I get older and as I look back, I'm like, okay, I get it. That's who I was and, and still am in a lot of ways. And so uh, that's, jo- that's Joseph. That's Joseph. And so in the midst of this, this hot hatred that his brothers have towards him, Jacob sends him uh, kind of just into the, into the mess. And so Jacob wants him to go and check on his brothers. And the, the phrasing here in the text is, is it, it draws our attention to previous events. So it, they're at Shechem, and it's mentioned twice. Now, what has happened at Shechem Well, Shechem is where Dinah, Jacob's daughter, went wandering around and then was raped by one of the inhabitants of Shechem, who was the son of the king of Shechem, and they tried to arrange a marriage and bring the two nations and families into unity, Um, and the brothers were deceitful and said, okay, we'll do that. We'll follow your plan. That, I don't have any idea where Jacob was at in this whole thing. That, he doesn't, the text doesn't say. But Jacob's brothers say, okay, we'll marry into your family. You guys can marry into ours. Um, but you have to get circumcised. All the males in your city needs to get circumcised. And once you do that, we'll make this official. Well, so the men rush back. They all get circumcised, and before they're all healed, the brothers all go in and kill every male. So that's Shechem. Rape and murder is what we are to think of when we think of Shechem. And when Jacob calls upon his son, Joseph, Joseph says, here I am. It's the exact same response that that Isaac gave to Abraham when Abraham said, hey, let's go sacrifice at Mount Moriah. And so when you think, when you see that phrase, here I am, it, it, his response is the same as Isaac who was going to encounter potential violence. And so the reader is reading this and they're thinking, this, this, this doesn't seem like this is going to be good. Now it doesn't tell us what's in Jacob's mind, but did, did Jacob realize, and maybe was Jacob pressing How is Joseph going to work out this challenge with his brothers? So he sends him, and then there's a man along the way. doesn't tell us who the man is. You wonder, why is there just a guy out in the middle of the desert? But then you think of, what about the man that came and wrestled with Jacob? Is this some sort of a divine man that's guiding Joseph to his brothers? Who knows? Well, the brothers are not able. The text says the brothers... I mean, the, the, the word hate is repeated many, many times in those first few paragraphs. And it says that his brothers are completely unable to speak to him in a, in a peaceful and kind way at all. And so they conspire to murder him when they see him coming to where they're shepherding the sheep. And so they have a conspiracy. Now, Reuben wants to save Joseph. Reuben's the firstborn. Now Reuben has gotten himself into trouble with his dad because he slept with his dad's second wife, the servant of his first wife. OK, So Reuben thinks that this might be an opportunity uh, to get back on my father on his father's good side. So he's thinking, "I'm going to do something to stop this murder." So he says, "Hey, let's just throw him in the pit. And then the text says, I'm going to go back later and save him and return him to my father. Now, it doesn't seem to work because they're still thinking murderously. He's in the pit now. They've thrown him in the pit. But they still want to murder him. And so Judah pipes up and he says, listen, what would it profit us to kill our brother? Let's sell him and make a profit all right? Joseph will be out of our hair. We won't kill him because he's our brother. We really shouldn't kill him. Um, and we're going to make some money from the deal. That's Joseph's, now, excuse me, that's Judah's contribution to the discussion. His brothers listened to him, all right? They didn't listen to Reuben. They listened to Judah. And we don't know Judah's motivations here. We don't know, okay, is this the only way that that Judah can see solving the problem? Because If Joseph's going to stick around much longer, he's eventually going to get killed. And we, we don't know his motivations. We just know this is what he says. But it ends up saving Joseph. But even that plan is foiled. Judah's plan is to sell Joseph to the Ishmaelites. Now, the Ishmaelites... It's hard to track all these these names and peoples in the book of Genesis, but it's actually fairly important. Now, the Ishmaelites were the people that came from Abraham's um, child with Hagar. Okay, Abraham is Jacob's grandfather. So Abraham slept with Hagar, his wife's servant, and they have Ishmael. God doesn't want to bless the world through Ishmael. He wants to bless the world through Isaac and Sarah, not Ishmael and Hagar. Okay, so there's these people called the Ishmaelites. Now, Abraham eventually has Isaac through Sarah, but Sarah dies. Abraham gets married again and has a wife named Keturah. Keturah gives birth to a child called Midian. All right, so here you have... (laughs) these families that have come from his grandfather. So the Ishmaelites, Judah sees the Ishmaelites. He says, hey, let's sell them to the Ishmaelites. They are going to Egypt. We'll make some profit. Joseph will be out of our hair. So that's the plan. Reuben goes to the pit, and Joseph is no longer there. The Midianites came upon the pit before the brothers did. And so the Midianites, say this this guy in a pit, probably crying for help, they pull him out. They sell him to the Ishmaelites. Joseph's brothers come upon the pit. He's gone. They have no idea where Joseph is at. They have his coat still, but they don't know. They don't know. Reuben's response is, where shall I go? It seems like Reuben thinks he's going to get kicked out of the family. Where am I going to go now? My dad's mad at me. He's going to be increasingly mad. What am I going to do? So the brothers come up with a plan to deceive Jacob. It kind of goes back to their original plan, but they hadn't murdered Joseph. They hadn't even sold Joseph. That was what they were wanting to do. But to deceive the fact, to, to, to deceive the father and hide the fact that they had some responsibility with the fact that Joseph is no longer there, they splatter the coat with blood. They return back. The, they return the coat to their father. Say, "Hey, is this this is this Joseph's? We found this." And Jacob says, "Yes, that's the coat of my son. He must be killed." Now. Jacob is not new to the challenges of brothers. His own brother wanted to kill him because he deceived his own brother trying to get the birthright and the blessing. So this, this concern around who's going to be first, who's going to have the blessing, who's going to, who's going to have the responsibility of the family, that's a, a, a huge priority he stole it from his brother Esau and he sees the jealousy around it between his own sons and so the text says that Jacob ah a wild animal must have devoured it but in the back of Jacob's mind is he thinking did my have my sons killed Joseph we don't again we don't know but it it certainly had to have crossed his mind what actually happened See, that's the, that's the question, that because then the last, the last line says the Midianites sold him in Egypt. Well, I thought the text just said that the Midianites sold him to the Ishmaelites, who then sold him. So what actually happened? Now, none of the characters in the story actually know what happened. Joseph's brothers don't know what happened to Joseph. Jacob, the main character, doesn't know what happened to his son. He has a a story that's been told him, but he doesn't really know what happened to Joseph. The brothers don't really know. They had a plan. They had motivations. It didn't work out. They don't really know what happened to Joseph. Joseph obviously knows what happened to him, but he doesn't know why. These foreigners raised him up from the pit. Were his brothers going to kill him? Were his, who knows? He's in the pit because of his brothers, and that's all he knows. He doesn't know in regard to his father. You know, And did Joseph wonder why his father, with, with what happened to him? Is he blaming his dad because of where he's at? who knows the reader us we're the only one that knows what happened to joseph we're the only one that knows all of the motivations that went into all of the decisions and thoughts and conversations that that took place and and i see and that's where the chapter ends and so here we are in this story that's much different than the generalized way that we think about it because Joseph's brothers did not sell Joseph to Egypt. Joseph's brothers have no idea where Joseph is at. So the text, the chapter stops there. And then the next chapter goes into Judah's life. So it kind of keeps us hanging. It's like, you know, we watch, we we binge watch all this TV now that we can binge watch, but it used to be that things were released weekly, and you'd have to wait till the next week to finish the series, right? Or to get to the next part of the story. And that's kind of like where we're at now. We have come to 37, and end of 37, we can go keep reading. But I think it's helpful to stop because. We are very similar to the characters in this story. We do a lot of things that are not good. We have a lot of motivations and say a lot of things and do a lot of things that bring harm upon ourselves. We have a lot of things in our lives that are not good because of what people do to us. We call our, you know, we're call victims. It's just reality. We talked about that last week more extensively. We are like the major characters in this story. There are things going on that we all don't see. And these things, the things that we do see, and the things that we are not certain of, cause us a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, a lot of mental health problems. Now, we know Joseph is alive, but we only know that because the text has told us the brothers and Jacob don't know that. We know that Reuben and Judas seemed like they tried to save him. We know because we know the story that generally, yeah, Joseph's alive. He's going he's gonna to rise to power and he's going to save the world. We, we, we know the end of that story. And we know that God's promises will come to fruition. But we don't have the same perspective into our own lives if we're if we're characters in the story right well who are, who are the ones reading <laughs> we're not we're not readers of our story we don't have a narrator that's painting the broader picture and setting contexts we're not readers of our own story We're the characters in our story. And we don't know how things are going to work out. Which is what causes the problems and anxieties and the pressures within us. The uncertainty. The uncertainty that that the school administrator said. There's so much uncertainty that the stress and anxiety levels are just off the charts. It's the uncertainty that creates so much challenges for us. The uncertainty about how things are going to work out for us, how things are going to work out for our kids, uncertainty about how how things in the past are going to affect our our present and our future. And we're not unlike the characters either, because God has made promises to them, but God has also made promises to us. If you just start thinking about all of the promises that God has made to those who believe in him and those who follow him, our trials are actually good things that we are to consider pure joy because of the good that it's going to do in our lives? All right, that is a repeated theme throughout Scripture, beginning with the oldest book of the Bible, Job, All right, all the way through the New Testament. Trials will work out for our good. Another promise, God will work all things out for our good, so we should be more than conquerors in all of the trials and challenges that overcome our lives, because we know that God is going to work all things out for our good. That is the promise. We know that God has reconciled all things in heaven and on earth through, the, through his Son, through the blood of the cross, so that, that the wrath of God is no longer being extended to us as his people, who have entered into that reconciliation through faith and that God is working through the blood of Jesus Christ for all things past, all things future, all things on earth, all things in heaven. All things have been reconciled through Christ if, and, and we can experience it if only we can see the redemption in the work that God is doing. The scriptures say that happiness, which is quite the opposite of anxiety, and depression, and loneliness, all these things, these mental health challenges that we face. Happiness and prosperity is for those who seek him. The text makes a promise that God will complete the good work that he started in us. Philippians chapter 1. That Jesus repeatedly says, God will provide everything that we need. Food, clothing, shelter. Jesus says, don't worry about these things. The Gentiles worry about these things. You don't need to worry about these things. You have a Father in heaven who, who knows you and cares for you. But yet, we're like the characters. We're like the characters. If we're honest with ourselves, it's hard to hold on to those promises in the midst of our pain and in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of the uncertainty, because we're not certain. We're just characters that don't see the whole picture. So what are we to do? What struck me in this, in, in this chapter was that was the last verse. But Joseph was sold into the house of Potiphar in Egypt. We know what happens to Joseph. And it made me think, I said, you know, we need to not just be characters of our own lives, but we need to become readers of our lives. So what do I mean by that? Our lives are part of the larger work and purposes of God that began Genesis chapter 1 and will end at the eternal kingdom that is talked about in Revelation chapter 22. Our lives are... We, we are characters in that bigger story. We are characters in that bigger story. And, it, and it's a story that God is writing. It's a story that God has been writing and it's revealed to us in His Word And so we can become readers. If we see ourselves as characters in God's story, we become readers of our story and not just characters playing out the day-to-day. The author of the story is telling us how to interpret and understand what's going on in the lives of these characters. And that author of the story is, is, is God. It's God. And a- again, what, what happens to us in the midst of our uncertainty and anxiety and pressures and stress, we focus in on our individual lives. We focus in on the, the pain and suffering and the uncertainty that we experience And we stop seeing ourselves in the context of the story that God is writing that we are a part of. We need to have an an opposite reaction. Like when uncertainty emerges, when the pain and suffering of our own sin and the sins of others against us emerge, and we wonder how, how this is going to affect our present, and we wonder how it's going to affect our future. We wonder what our future is going to look like. It's at that time, rather than focusing down and increasingly just trying to, to work on ourselves as a character in the story, it's when we, that's when we need to widen our view. What is going on? how can I see my life in the context of a bigger picture? A bigger picture that has promises about the good that God is going to do. There's nowhere in the Bible where where God is promising to do good to people um, and their lives are just always good. The promises of God to do good in the lives of people is in the midst of people that are suffering and in pain, which is everybody. God is wanting to do something to pull us out of the trajectory of violence and darkness that characterizes humanity. We are going to experience that. But what God provides is a a context and a perspective that helps us see that, that our lives are part of the bigger story that is, that, that is centered around the person and work of Jesus Christ, that promise offspring, and that, and that good is a certain future reality for me. That's what, that's what hope is. It, hope is not wishes and dreams. Hope is certainty of a future good. And the scriptures say that, that, that Jesus is our hope. Because Jesus has promised to do things in our lives now and in the future, so that we're not buried by the trials that we experience now. The promise that the text says, and in the beginning, so there's the law, the prophets, the writings, and the writings begin with the Psalms. And the first two chapters of Psalms, and the Psalms are their songs. They are they are um Expressions of where we are at emotionally. And the Psalms start out, chapter one, this emphasis on one who meditates on the law day and night. Now, the law is the five books of Moses. One who meditates on the law day and night is, 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 one, is like a tree, they're like a tree firmly planted by springs of water which yields its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither, they are fruitful. It describes prosperity. And then the next chapter focuses on the primary subject of the law, which is the anointed Son of God, Jesus Christ. And so if you live your life meditating on the law, which is God's broader story, if you live your life meditating on the law, You're going to come to see more and more that person of the anointed king, as the king of all nations, and as the king of your life, the one who sets your story, our story, into a broader context—one that's going to end with Jesus Christ reigning over all things in this in this world, in heaven and on earth. And so, the 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 author of the Psalms is not just telling us—he's not just telling us to read our Bibles. I'm not just telling us to read our Bibles. What I'm saying is a, a, a drawing near to knowing God and His promises, which are revealed in His word, helps us to be read great, better readers, not only of the text, but of our lives. We can read our lives. So when we, when we see the challenges that we go through, and you know, we, in, in the text we see these little verses that kind of it gives us a picture into the broader things that God is doing. When we are meditating on the law of God, we see our lives in the broader picture, and we can have an understanding about what God is doing. And if we continue to remind ourselves that, we don't get stuck. We don't get stuck like, Jacob, I'm going to live the rest of my life in depression, crying for my son. Because that's not what happens to Jacob. We know that. But Jacob doesn't know that yet. But we can start to see ourselves, you know what? Things look really bad in Jacob's life right here but it didn't turn out it didn't end up that way. it didn't turn out that way in the end things are looking really bad for joseph's life right here but it didn't turn out that way in the end you go down the line and we can see into our own lives when we're in the midst of uncertainty and depression and anxiety and worry and all these things that Jesus tells us not to, work, to engage in in the midst of all that we can say you know what my life is really looking like x y or z I see these people in the scriptures. But God has made promises, and it seems like he works in such a way to where I know this isn't where it's going to end up at. And that gives us hope. Hope to press on, hope to keep reading. And the scriptures tell us then that in that process, the Holy Spirit energizes us and transforms our emotions so that even in the midst of the trial and the suffering, Deliverance isn't being rescued from the trial. Deliverance is having the ability to honor Jesus with joy and gratitude. That's what deliverance is. And the Holy Spirit does that. The trials may not go away, but the Holy Spirit gives us joy and and gratitude. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you for this word. Thank you for the, the subtleties. Thank you for the challenges that uh, force us to think more deeply about you and about the Word that you've given to us. And I pray, Lord God, that you would help us as your people to become better readers of of our own lives as we become better readers of the Word that you have given to us, the revelation of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In your Son's name we pray. Amen.